Michael Sonbert and Antonio Vance have held nearly every job in K-12 education. They've coached, trained, and partnered with thousands of teachers and school leaders from over 100 cities and eight countries around the world. They are Skyrocket Educator Training, and these are their informal observations. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Education. I'm Michael Sonbert, the founder of Skyrocket, here as always with the good doctor, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great, Michael. Ready for tonight's show? Just back from a trip. You went down to Houston for a birthday party, right? How was it? <laughs> I did go to Houston for a birthday party that I did not put on social media. Are you stalking me? Yeah, I actually have tabs on you. Um, I want to know where everybody <laughs> on the team is at every at any given moment. Um, and if anybody's up to something that they shouldn't be, I want to find out about them. Um, yes. Did you... Uh, what, what's the what's the cuisine like down? In these, I've never been there. What was the never what was the food like? Oh man, the food was um, food was really good. Ate at a few restaurants. Let me tell you, if you ever go to Houston, I ate at the I think it's called the Turkey Leg Hut. Maybe I might be making that up. It's Wait, it's called the Turkey, turkey leg. leg Hut. Yes, I believe that's what it's called. I'm gonna have to Google it now. Something along Turkey Stay Legs and Huts. Stacy, who's doing Stacy, who's who does ops for us, who's also our producer. Can you Google to see if there's a restaurant that's called the Turkey Leg yes. Hut? Because <laughs> I don't think that there that that exists. That sounds it like is. a fake name. It is not a fake name, and it was by far um, apparently. So, like when you go to the store, there's a three hour wait, um, which I thought was a lot of pomp and circumstance. So I yeah. actually got a chance. Um, to eat one of these uh, turkey legs, and um, yeah, I'd wait three hours for that. You and, did you actually wait? You waited three no, hours? Oh no, I didn't wait. Um, I have people to do that for me. I was so. gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> who are your people? Because you went there with friends, so you made the your friends wait for three hours. Absolutely, I'm not waiting three hours. <laughs> it's and you see what our producer says. She says it's real. The turkey leg hut. Wow, yeah. I stand corrected. The that is amazing. Amazing thing I've eaten in like the last 20 years of my life. Like it was um yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just tur it's just turkey way. it's just turkey legs. But the turkey leg is like the size of like a 6-year-old femur. I mean, it is <laughs> it, is, it is huge. Yeah. Um, and it is um it was it was really really good. It changed my life. I'm a whole different person, man. <laughs> you seem this. You seem the same to me. <laughs> you don't um, know me. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me. Um, all right. Well, listen. We are excited to bring out our guest tonight. Her name is Lauren Miller. Though we we she usually will call us Somber Advance. We'll call her Miller. She is an absolute rock star in the world of special education, and I am. So psyched for this show. I'm psyched for all the shows, but this one in particular because, you know, special education is a, is a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And so we're going to bring out Lauren in a few minutes. But before Lauren comes out, we're going to do what we always do, which is three questions for the good doctor. Dr. Antonio Vance, for question number one, what is something that other people think is great that you couldn't care less about? So something that's like, Conventional wisdom says, like, this is real, like, I'll give you an example, like, 
Everyone loves pancakes. I think pancakes are so stupid and such a like like <laughs> they're it's impossible for them to stay hot. They don't taste like anything. It only they only taste good because you put the syrup on it. And if you're gonna, why, why would you eat that for breakfast? If you're gonna eat that for breakfast, it's not like just eat ice cream for breakfast. That's actually delicious. But also, don't do either of those things. Eat eggs and sausage, and have a or whatever you like frittatas. Have a have a have a, a healthy breakfast. Don't eat pancakes. I don't like pancakes. I don't understand it. I think they're stupid. I think people who eat them are stupid. I'm just kidding. Uh, my family eats pancakes. So, but that's a good example of something that like most people think is like, yeah, this thing is great. And you don't think it's great. Let's hear what you got. I, I actually agree with your, your pancake. Um, really? Pancake analysis. Yeah. Nobody, I, nobody ever agrees with me. We have to ask Miller when she comes out. Yeah. Nobody ever agrees with me. They think I'm crazy about pancakes. I mean, no, I think you're crazy. Absolutely. But, <laughs> no, but back, um, back. <laughs> Pancake? Yeah, I, I have to agree with your analysis. I'm gonna we have yeah, I'm gonna rethink that. Hmm. Um, what was something that I think? Well, um, I mean you're probably not gonna like this answer, but I don't care. Um music. I'm just like, eh, like if if I went today and never heard any more music, I'd I'd be okay. It's okay. Really? Yeah. Uh, so have you I assume you haven't listened to the playlist I made you? What playlist? The pop, the pop music playlist that I talked to you about on the last show. You haven't listened to it because you don't care about music. Was that the last show? Or was that like two shows ago? I don't know. I don't. Remember. I think it was the last one. Oh, or yeah, maybe yeah. no. Might have been two. Looked, no, it might have been two shows ago. My fault. I did look at the list. Okay. Um, I did not listen to the actual um, songs, but I did look at the list. You, but you really don't. You couldn't care less about music. I mean, I like some things like, oh, this is nice to listen to. You know, like I'll listen to wow. DMX. <laughs> but like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not a music like, like people are like, oh, this song is like mine. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, I don't know who that is. This is, this is a shocking answer to me. Why? Because I just think music is like, <laughs> just uh, like pancakes. Omni, no, 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 no. Music is everywhere. It's everywhere. You go into CVS, you come out, you're singing Careless Whisper by no, Wham. Because no, it was on not. and it's in your brain. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm actually trying to get out so I don't hear this like noise buzzing in my ear. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am blown musician. away. I am blown away. Well, you're a musician, so you love music. Yeah, well, I, I do not. The, the, whether I'm a musician or not is up for debate, but I do love music. Um, I am shocked by that answer. My answer is going to be much less controversial, but I think Tesla cars are totally <laughs> lame, and and I think they're ugly and pointless. Uh, not pointless. pointless. I get the point. <laughs> I get the point. I just like, I don't think they're cool. I don't, I see somebody driving a Tesla. I'm sorry that anybody who's listening who drives a Tesla, if I see somebody driving a Tesla and I think the person's a douchebag and not like in a, I was about to say not in a good way, but how could that be good? But like not in like a, you know, uh, the person has a Porsche or something and you're like, eh, I don't know. What's the guy doing? Um, I just like, I see Teslas and I think they're lame. I think it's a lame car. And this is going to blow people's minds. Elon Musk, who most people don't like, who they, you know, they compare to this, like, you know, uh, who's the bad guy from, um, 
Austin Powers. Oh, um, Dr. Evil, right? Yeah. He's got this like Dr. Evil comparison. I actually think Elon Musk is really cool. And I heard he treats his employees horribly. Yeah. And is a total monster. And for some reason, uh, that doesn't bother me. And I like Elon Musk <laughs> and what he's about and what he does. And I don't like Tesla cars. Well, hopefully that doesn't foreshadow you as a, a boss. And it doesn't. So no, it doesn't. So don't get any ideas. I will not. I will not. Um, I'm, I'm just down on electric cars. And listen, I feel like I'm on the right side of most issues. I feel like I'm on the right side of most issues. I am not on the right side of electric versus gas cars. I don't think I, I would not drive a car where it's like, oh, like, I, I hope I can plug it in in a few miles or else I'm going to be like stuck here. Like, it's like, no, no, no. Give me gasoline until this thing is figured out. If they come up with a self-charging car, I'll drive it in a second. I'm all for the environment. I am just not feeling the whole electric car thing. You are not all for the environment. If you said, oh, just give me my <laughs> gasoline, you're not for the environment. Give me the gasoline. Let's do it. Um, Vance, what's something you've learned recently? Something that may uh, inspire our audience or something that may uh, teach our audience something? Um, you know, I was having a conversation today uh, with a leader, um, an amazing leader at a school. And, um, you know, we're talking about instruction and teaching and just some of the misses. And we, we got into this conversation about just culturally relevant teaching and um, she quoted um, a book that I um, that I mentioned, I think, two podcasts ago when I talked about um, dependent learners, um, Zaretta Hammond and cultural relevant um, in the brain. And the, the quote was around how culture serves um, as a guide to how we process information and new learning and how that has to be coupled with students existing funds of knowledge to really make that learning happen. And I think about, um, I mean, most teachers at some point in their um, career re read about funds of knowledge and how students bring those uh, to, the, to the classroom. And, you know, we have this really deep conversation just around how um, we often as educators wonder, you know, like, hey, I taught this really great lesson. Why didn't it click with the students? Mm. Um, and in that book, in Zaretta Hammond's book, she talks a lot about just the actual structure and it gets kind of like biological and sciency, which, you know, I love. Um, yeah. And it just sort of like, I, and I thought back to just my own teaching and some of the things that I see in classrooms um, around uh, the country where, you know, there's like a misconnect uh, between the teacher um, and student and just really thinking about how we can actually follow the science and, and really think about how do we, how do we get um, and bring students' cultures into the classroom and use um, what they already you know, know and what they already love and what they already understand to really solidify what they're thinking um, and how they're thinking and how they're learning and how we're teaching. Um, so it was, it was really great for me and it's something I'll definitely be sharing with leaders um, as I you know, trek across the country. And what's the, I mean, how, how, how usable and transferable is this yeah. idea? Because I think it's, it's great and it makes sense to me, but is it something that like anybody's going to be able to implement or execute yeah. or is it, or is it like it, it is totally dependent on the where and the when and the who talk to me more about that. Yeah. 
I mean, we talked about it that, you know, teachers of color sort of come with a lot of the, the cultural background and they're able to connect um, with, with students and their funds of knowledge and sort of like things that they connect with in their community. Yeah. And then we're talking about how other teachers um, who may not share the same culture, how they have to take that leap to like, not in any inauthentic way, try to right. like, you know, it's like the, the, you wouldn't have like the white teacher in front of the classroom trying to rap and like quote, you know, biggie or do something that doesn't, you know, that's going to obviously land really flat. Right. Yeah. How do you, how, cause I've seen that. I've seen that. Oh yeah. I have to. And that's like, I mean, that's a, that's a bad deal. Right. Yes. So yeah, I'm not, <laughs> do not do that. <laughs> Let's be clear. We're not saying do that, but how do you, how do you um, engage what the, the funds of knowledge that they bring to the classroom that your students bring and how do you incorporate it into the classroom and into their learning? And that doesn't mean, you know, changing the name and the problem to an ethnic sounding name, which folks sometimes feel like, you know, that's the thing to do. Oh, I'm going to change Susie to um, a name that they feel like um, a student would resonate with. But instead, what are the cultural norms, the things that happen in at home, um, in their community that the student can bring? And then that we can use that as a window um, into that student learning to really make it solid, right? So like if someone is talking to me about learning something new and they like bring it from a science context, I'm all in. But if you bring it from like a music context, I'm going to like look at you like you're crazy because I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't really resonate with me. Like don't teach me math like eighth notes. Like that doesn't, that still doesn't make sense to me. Um, but if you bring it through uh, something that I can, you know, really resonate with, um, that I bring to the table as well, then that's really going to solidify my learning. Wow. I, I've, yeah, it's that really, that, that resonates with me deeply. I think to your last point, if they bring it to us from a, a pancake context, we're both, we're not going to get, we're not going to be, are you about to spit out your drink? Is that what's, is that what's happening right now? How would you say that when you see Folks, you know, Antonio just almost had an accident with his, with his cocktail. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast with a guy named um, Howard Behar, who I'd never heard of before. He was the president of Starbucks for a lot of years. And when he started, they had 200 stores. And when they left, he had, they had 15. When he started, they had 200 stores. When he left, they had 15,000. And I'm looking at his book. If you see me, Vance, and folks at home can't see this, but if you see me, I'm looking at the name of the book. It's called It's Not About the Coffee. And I just ordered it today. Um, and I haven't read it, I haven't read, uh, read it yet, but his whole like thesis is that it's about the people um, and not about the actual, the, the coffee. And he's being interviewed by a guy named Ed Milet, who I'm, I'm going to talk about Ed on a future episode because he has a, a, a theory that I think is really interesting. But he's being interviewed by a guy named Ed Milet, and he's talking about like, um, you know, the guy Behar says he walks into a, um, a kitchen, you know, a Starbucks kitchen, and there's a sign. This is early on. And there's a sign that says, like, be kind, um, be, be fast be clean. And he rips it off the wall. And he starts, he says to everyone, what about just be human? 
And this guy's this guy's smarter than than this guy's smarter than I'll ever be, right? And he's 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 done incredible things. But I'm listening to this, thinking like, what the frick are you talking about? Because to be human, like, um, like people still have to be clean, right? You're running, you're in, you're you're in food service. Yeah. And so the guy Ed says, yeah. He goes, he goes, what you know, like the guy Behar's like, you know, be human, be human with the people you work with, right? And the guy Ed's like, yeah, like, but they still have to have systems for like what the like like what the stores look like and what we and like that there's uniform names of all the different coffees and the same pricing and the stores have a similar layout and the guys like because i started to i started to panic you you know this but but nobody listening knows this but i'm actually writing a book right now around around a team culture and how folks work how folks on different teams work with each other and i start to panic listening to this guy who's opened you know fifteen thousand ish uh, starbucks coffee shops and basically saying like be human is the most important thing that matters and and this guy ed's pushing him and saying like but we have to have all those other things in place first right and the guy's like oh yeah oh of course like nothing happens until every system's in place till every single thing is airtight until there's uniform language there's a uniform vision that everybody's aligned around the values and i was like oh thank i mean thank <laughs> i mean for my own person i'm like oh thank god thank god because if this guy just said the only thing that matters is being human and i know that that's wrong but i'm like waiting for this guy to be like no 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 all you have to do is be be nice to each other and be human and you'll have a successful organization but anyway so it was it was interesting today that even in a space and even, you know, this guy's like his book is called It's Not About the Coffee, which is so interesting to me. But it's still at the heart of it is like every single person in the entire organization has to be aligned behind a common vision. Everybody has to be totally invested in what the, the organization is doing. He said something that was really great. He said, if you don't hit your numbers, he's like, you're not going to get fired. He's like, if you don't align with our values and our vision, he's like, you're not going to be a fit here. He's like, you're not going to last long. And I was like applauding. I'm driving my car, <laughs> like, applauding as I'm almost like I'm <laughs> sliding from lane to lane. Anyways, really, really a cool piece. I'm going to read the book shortly. And then uh, I'll do a, a book report for everybody here. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to disagree with him. I do think it is about the coffee. Um, <laughs> Speak, coffee. Speaking of delicious drinks, what are you drinking tonight, man? Anything? Yeah, I'm having a drink. Um, I feel like every time we've had a podcast, I've said yes. Um, so I'm, I'm just reflecting on that. Uh, <laughs> that's okay it's okay of course I uh, we don't have, we don't have product podcasts that often if we had a podcast every night i feel like i'm going to get a a message um asking questions about every i'm, I'm at 100 percent now i think no i think i may have not drank one maybe one. i don't i think you drank every single time oh thank you thank you um yeah i'm, I'm no you did miss one you missed one you missed one yeah, I think I did miss one. It was like in the middle yeah. of the day. Yeah, that, that's right. We both missed that one. <laughs> it's like working hours. Um, yeah. Old Faithful, my crown, Gin. apple and pine, oh. pineapple juice. Crown, apple and pineapple juice. Got it. Got it. I am drinking. Uh -oh. Can you see what's, can you tell people what I'm drinking? Something probably cheap. 
Let's see. It's oh, definitely cheap. Hard seltzer. That stuff's disgusting. You don't do you you said this like I'm drinking a raspberry white claw and you said it like you don't know what you, well you said it's disgusting so you know what it is you you've I had it before I had one okay unbeknownst yeah and it well, um, I, I don't remember it tasting good I am in Philadelphia and I thought there was beer in the fridge and there's not and so I'm drinking what the only thing that was in the fridge which is a white claw hard seltzer Ugh. a raspberry one for those of you at home um, but after this, I just poured myself, I poured myself, uh, you're going to, you're going to actually punch me for this, but I poured myself a coffee mug of gin. So after I finish this white claw, I will start drinking my coffee mug of gin, which I know is not, uh, it's uncouth as, uh, as, and, and, uh, I don't know if you're being disrespectful to coffee or if you're being disrespectful <laughs> to the gin, it's just disrespectful all around. <laughs> Hey, it's not about the call. It's not about the gin, right? Um, all right, let's uh, let's bring out our guest. Uh, this woman is equal parts brilliant and funny and gets it and cool, and she's just an amazing, inspirational uh, school leader. She's somebody that I was actually an instructional coach with uh, for a bunch of years back in the in the early two thousand tens. And uh, we worked side by side, and uh, she taught me a lot more than I ever taught her. But we're excited that she actually runs lead on all Skyrocket sp uh, special education work. Her name is Lauren Miller. She's an absolute rock star, and uh, we're excited to have her on the show. Lauren, how are you? Hi, friends. So good to see you both. This is such an honor to be here with you. Hey. Really. Um, yeah, what a what a team. This is a really like I feel like I'm really walking into a rock star situation here. Well, well you're the we, rock star. We, yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's the accurate that's the accurate thing. Lauren, can you before we start and get into our questions, can you tell our audience where you're where you're coming to us from? Because it's not your typical your typical uh, location. So I was told to record in the quietest place in my home. And so, and potentially that might be my closet. And so I am in my closet right now. And so you get to actually see the uh, array of outfits. There's so many possibilities here. Um, you yes. might see, yeah, there's, there's this yellow dress. It says, you know, like cult leader or something like that. And yeah, there's, there's a lot happening here. So yeah, it's, it's great to be here in this extremely personal space with both of you. I'm really, you know, when other, what other time would you be actually in my closet with me? And um, yeah, just, just great to be here with both of you. <laughs> there is so much to unpack here. Uh, I'm going to ask you about your drink in a moment, but I see that you are drinking. And so you're drinking in your closet. I am amazed that you think that that yellow dress screams cult leader versus just yeah. like a nice dress. But you think that that um, makes if you wear that dress, you think that it makes you a cult leader? Well, or maybe like a cult participant, not a, and, and no offense to anyone who's, who's been in a cult or if you, yeah, it. it, yeah, right. It's oh. sort of a, like a high-waisted, you know, maybe we're, um, you know, I just, I'm, I'm here to serve, um, and, and be part of the community. And, nice. and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, carry out orders, carry out orders. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and hopefully for the good of, of everyone and hopefully nothing terrible happens, you know, like a, a good cult, not a doomsday cult. Okay. Oh, oh God. I like how you were, um, 
intentional about not offending people who are in cults. She said, no offense to anybody. You have no idea what, what lives people are living and you just want to make sure you're bringing everybody in. <laughs> Lauren, before we get started, I, I'm going to ask you what you're drinking in a second, but you heard our, our, our initial question around like, is there something that other people think is great that you're like, uh, I'm not into it. Like, what, is there a thing that you're like, you know, everybody's Everybody loves The Bachelor. I think it's I think it's terrible. I actually don't think everybody loves The Bachelor. But like, what's is? Do you have a thing? I actually have a lot of those things, um, really? and I feel like yeah, it makes me so. And I'm actually going to line up with you all because I feel like I was shocked by both the Tesla and the music. Um, and so, I'm going to say one that probably is also horrible to say, but pets. I'm not a pet person. <laughs> <laughs> I am I grew up like you know in a sort of ruralish area animals don't come in the house um yeah, so yeah. you know and like when I would meet people where there'd be like a cat on the counter or so, it just <laughs> I <laughs> I'm not a it's not my thing and I when people love animals it's so sweet to me and like people who love like a dog meme like I'll send dog memes to friends who like dogs or cat memes to friends who like cats. Um, and I like, you know, sort of animal Instagram presence, but I'm not, I don't want to come home to an animal. Um, and so that might make me a sociopath. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not big on pets. Um, I like lots of other living things, but I don't know. I'm just not a pet person. So yeah, hopefully no one thinks I'm a total sociopath after that, but you know, it's out now. No, I think it's the drinking wine in your closet that's going to get people to think you're <laughs> a lunatic. I think that with the, the cult dress. <laughs> yeah, with your like, it's weird that that dress is like prominently displayed. You all can't see this, but everything else is hung sideways, and that's hung face like it's frontwards. Like it's it's yes. it, she's got the front like of the she dress. She has a cult meeting after this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, we're going to start to see people milling around the back of the closet, <laughs> like with like uh, whatever people in cults do. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, I think they, yeah, they gather. Yeah, Vance, where do you stand on that? You, you wanted a dog. I told you not to get a dog, and then guess what I did? I went and got a dog. Which I, I, I like, I like, it's so funny because I also have kids and the difference, like I, I know people who like love their dogs. Like they're like, they, the, the dog, the dog, the dog. And it's like, I am like with my dog. I'm like, yeah, hi. And then I'm like, go to my kids. And I'm like, oh, I love you so much. And I see my dog and I'm like, okay, I'm like move, move out of my way right now. Like, like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm nice to my dog. I want people to like, like I am not unkind to my dog, but I'm just like, my, our dog doesn't come in our bed. Like if our dog like eats, if, if, if the dog like tries to get human food, I am not having it. Like I am not, we've been to parties and people are like, Hey, look at this delicious dip I made. And they put it down on the table and then like their dog jumps up and eats the dip and then runs away. And everyone's like, Oh, shucks. Look what the dog did. And I'm like, Hmm. I'm like, is everyone okay with this? Because I'm not. Um, and so I am like, I like, I love dogs for, to an extent. I'm not where you are Miller. I'm like, but I'm not like, I'm not like the dog person who's like, oh, like the dog, like did it, did that thing again. I'm cool with it. Van Vance, where do you stand on this? I mean, I, I vacillate like I'm, 
my neighbor has a dog. Both my neighbors have dogs. And I'm there are times where I'm like, nope, glad I don't have a dog. Glad I don't have any pets. I mean, I can barely take care of myself. Um, so trying to take care of another living thing, um, it looks fun, but yeah, I'm probably just not going to, <laughs> going to do that anytime soon, but I'm not opposed. I'm not anti it, but I'm not, yeah, I'm chilling for now. I feel awesome. you though, Lauren, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'm, I feel you. Meanwhile, yeah. Stacy, who is our, our uh, producer, is uh, probably she probably has a, a cat on her head right now. Um, <laughs> so she is uh, she is is a is a pet person. Miller, are you having a, a well, we know you're having a drink. We see it. What are you drinking tonight? Um, I have a, a natural uh, rosé here, so it's not it's not regular rosé. It's it's fancy. It's natural. Rose. Yeah. And it's almost um, gone. It is almost gone. I know. I don't think I, yeah, I put like a little bit in there and then I thought, you know, but I'm in my closet. I can't leave. So I mean, yeah. this is what I have for now. Um, what makes a rosé natural? So I don't totally understand it. And I, I, this past year, like if you follow wines, it's been this big fad where maybe, maybe, maybe it's longer than that, but I think that they don't put as many chemicals in it and the way that they ferment is different. Um, really it's just a bougie way of like selling you more wine. Um, and there's like a way of, you know, just like marketing it to somebody who has like a, you know, an extra $10. So instead of buying like the barefoot, uh, I'm going to buy the natural, uh, rosé and it's, what is fun about the natural stuff is it's kind of a crapshoot. Like you, some of it's really funky and tastes horrible, but people like love it. And some of it does taste really excellent. So you're just always like rolling the dice. Um, so, you know, if you want to waste $10 and potentially get a really horrible wine, um, this is a, it, it's a fun hobby to get into. Um, but yeah, that's been, uh, that's, that's been the sort of fall drink of choice lately. These kind of like dark, uh, natural wines that are, they're good with pizza. They're good with pasta. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're learning. And do you also do the, do you also eat the pizza in the closet too? (laughs) That would, I think like if I, if I do that, I'm texting to like, to let you know, there's a problem. Like I'm gonna, (laughs) we're in the world of special education. We use a lot of like scales, you know, for rating. And so you you teach, you teach kids like Likert scales for all kinds of things. And, um, yeah, that would be like, you know, usually there's a midpoint and that would be the midpoint, potentially like just the tipping point. And if that happened, I might put you both on my, on my text chain to say, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pizza in the closet. There's a cult dress, there's pizza in the closet. And, um, <laughs> and, well, and you know, <laughs> listen, speaking of this, the world of special education. So you, your resume is, is beyond impressive. So you are the director of, uh, the director of special education at Skyrocket on our team, which is unbelievable. And we're so happy to have you on our team. You also work with the school district of Philadelphia. You build the principal pipeline with them. Um, and you also work with the University of Pennsylvania in here in Philly, uh, working with pre-service teachers to, to kind of coach them up around the beginning pieces of special ed. Antonio, I don't know if you know this, University of Pennsylvania, it's an Ivy League college. Are you aware of this? Michael. Yes. I I got two degrees from Penn. (laughs) I know, I know, I know that. Um, Miller, tell us, tell us like, what is, what is a, a, 
What does a typical day look like in your world? And, and what do you see as your most important responsibility in, in the roles that you have? Yeah. So I, I really think a lot at this point about adults and their impacts on kids, um, but also sort of like adult wellness um, yeah. and adult understanding. Um, so, you know, the work I've toggled for years in between the world of special ed and then also what you would call like the world of general education. And ultimately, like they shouldn't be different. They shouldn't be siloed. Um, But, you know, ultimately, like when I would want to get better training, often I would toggle back over to the world of like everybody else and, you know, be trained as an instructional leader or a coach. Um, And that world is often like very focused um, in the world of everyone and kind of there's always a side note of special education. And so I think my work in general uh, is heavily focused on every day just centering how do I sort of think about building up leaders? Because ultimately, like I believe school leaders are the most important people in any municipality in any city. Um, they're the people who, you know, schools are our last standing public institution. Um, mm. They're the last place that you can get any services met. Like you think like if you're going to verify a, a human is a human, the only mm. place you can do it is a school, you know, if, mm. if you want to get SSI or something like that. So um, I think about our school leaders in particular as people who need development, support, and ultimately like a lot of understanding. And so a typical day is pretty wild. It's like, you know, I'm up at early, early in the, you know, early in the day up at, you know, five (laughs) down working at like seven or eight. Um, Mm. And it's a lot of, you know, kind of balancing all the needs of lots of, you know, different people. So it might be building programming around, um, you know, pre-service principles. And that is super exciting, like getting people who are super, super new to the work. And then, um, you know, jumping on a meeting in between with um, a school and helping them kind of develop special education protocols for their school. And Mm. then, you know, hopping into a college class and working with, you know, some like new, but really excited and motivated teachers who, don't know a lot about special education, but care about students. And so helping people to connect. And what's interesting is that like throughout that day, there's not dissonance, right? You're just, you're spending a lot of time connecting the threads for people. Like I think about like, that's like a metaphor that I think about a lot is like kind of weaving in the threads of all these different pieces and helping people. I've heard you say that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think that's really it. It's just bring it in. Um, and help people understand that, like, we're not really, uh, we're not in silos, you know, and especially if we sort of refocus and think about how, how do we show up best and in service to the people that we work for, children, um, that really, I think, helps people to align a lot. So, yeah, so days are busy, days are fun, days are chaotic, I, you know, but I think in general, like, there's no better work than this work. Um, so, you know, most days are, are really satisfying and um, really fun. Now, now, Lauren, in this whirlwind of education, uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge right now facing um, the world of special education and serving those students? There's so many things. Um, I think so. 
I think it's the complexity of the work, honestly, I think. And I think that it's actually sort of a false under a false conception of the complexity of the work. I should say the work is complex, but it's not work that um, or it's it's work that anyone could understand with some practice um, and systems that we apply to lots of other complex systems we can apply to special education. And so I think that sometimes people see it in a school and they just sort of take their hands off of it and they let folks kind of do, not do whatever, but I think that either it is, you know, people are overstressed or undermanaged. Um, and I think that that has to do with the fact that like special ed is both wide and deep. There's this very, just like extreme breadth of services that happen in the world of special education. Um, you know, everything from speech and language all the way to, you know, teaching someone how to navigate public transit. And it's also Mm -hmm. deep, you know? So I think the, the level of detail is so complex. Um, but it's not impossible. And I think sometimes people sort of look at it and get terrified and run away. Um, and I think if, if more schools really embraced, uh, just looking at it, it's almost like, I think some people look at the mess and run away. Um, and I think that if people sort of look at it and really, you know, like walk toward the pain, um, and really think of it, but it's not painful actually, once you actually face it, there's, there's a lot of beauty in that work. So I think it really has to do with the false idea of how complex it is. But isn't that, isn't that part of the, um, you know, I was, I was, uh, my neighbor across the street, um, he's got a, a son who's about the same age as my oldest. And so he texted me the other day, said, Hey, you, you want to do a play date? And so we're, we're, we have some construction going on in our backyard. And so we, we were hanging out on his front lawn and it's me, um, my oldest, my youngest, and, and this guy's, this guy's one, one son. And um, my wife brings out my middle guy, who you both know has autism. And we're, we're all playing. We're having a great time. And then, and then Teddy comes out. And now the, 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 the dynamics have to change because I now need to be on, on him to make sure he's not running into the street or, or pulling up this guy's grass or even pulling out his, his flowers. He's got a nice like flower bed. And I'm, you know, I'm watching Teddy to make sure this doesn't happen. But at one point, the neighbor says, uh, hey, who wants juice boxes, right? And he looks at Max. He goes, Max, juice box? That's my oldest. And he looks at my daughter. Penny, juice box, juice box. Yeah. And he looks at Teddy. He doesn't, he doesn't know what to say to Teddy. And he just kind of like mumbles, like kind of like under. And th- this guy's a great guy. He's not a bad guy. He didn't do anything mm-hmm. wrong. But he like, I could tell that he was just trying to get out without, without making a mistake or embarrassing himself or embarrassing Teddy or embarrassing me. He's just trying to get out as fast as possible and go back to what he knows. And I think hearing what you said, right? It was, it was as, as innocuous as, as innocuous can be, right? But, but he was like, uh, t- uh, Teddy, he's like kind of looking at me like, do you talk for Teddy? Does Teddy talk for himself? And he like, he didn't know what to do. And he just like, he kind of like, just like turned red and just like kind of like uh, sh- shuffled away, right? Embarrassing, uh, embarrassedly. And I think it really speaks to the point you're making of this, like, it's messier here and I don't know how to do it. And it's uncomfortable and it doesn't feel as good as this other place feels. So let me hang out there. Right. And it feels like that's like what the story I shared feels like a microcosm of the entire world of special ed. Right. Well, I think it's, you know, like special ed is 
um, it, you know, so, so special education, we have a lot of lessons to learn from disability justice. And I think they're one of the big ones is to really embrace and bring to our schools the idea of the social model of disability versus the medical model. Our whole educational system is based off the medical model, which yeah. is like you are singular, you singularly have a problem versus actually if we collectively build a system that supports everybody and we think from every single person in this building what the needs are. Um, and we design around that, right? It's like curb cuts are an example of this, of like when you, you when you have them or, or, and when you don't, it's a game changer for some people, but there are people who never think about it. Mm. Um, and it's so simple to do ultimately when you're pouring concrete to actually make a curb cut, you just have to plan for it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's that, it's like this idea of like, oh, can I think beyond this idea of what I know to be true and this sort of uh, systematized way of what we believe to be what is quote unquote normal, um, you know, like in the systems of oppression of like in the hierarchy of oppression of, you know, who gets to be normal and who gets to not be normal. Um, And I think that embedding that deeper in people's minds of how we think and how we design um, that it doesn't have to be like, you know, a, that like one man band with like 500 instruments like attached to him, you know, and like the kazoo and the drum and all the stuff. It's like, it can be actually this really beautiful, thoughtful design. Um, and when you talk about, saying, you're talking about special, special ed programming, you're talking about that, the, the design of that, or, or just the way we as like a, a, a society think about uh, people with special needs, special needs in general. Well, uh, just, uh, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, no, I think, I think both, I think, you know, schools are a place where we can lab so many amazing things in the, for the world, you know, and they're, that's why they're so contentious, um, in terms of, you know, curriculum and, and what people yeah. think kids should be taught. But I think, you know, we, we have the power in schools to build, you know, inclusive spaces where kids really get to all be together. Cause kids actually, what's amazing is like, once you build that space, kids are like, yeah, that's my friend. <laughs> and that's actually, yeah. and they, they understand how to accommodate. Um, we talk about this a lot, like an emotional support that like, once we teach ideas about emotional regulation, all the kids benefit. Um, and so if a kid struggles, you know, some kids have a, a pendulum that swings wider mm. and, other kids can learn, oh, that's just my friend. And sometimes he has a hard time um, and this is what he needs. And so I think there's a mindset piece around, um, you know, everyone in a building really embracing, like this is a space for everybody. Um, And I think, but as a society, we have a lot more work to do um, in terms of building those spaces because we certainly don't have those structures. in in many spots um and so i think that's a that's definitely an edge for growth for um us collectively um because i mean you know it's like even even a juice box conversation can be stressful (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right oh man i am uh i i can tell already that i'm gonna go we have questions planned for you, and I can tell already that I'm going to go wildly off script, and so I apologize in advance because I'm already uh, my, my 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 brain is churning here. Let's let's talk about adult learning because I've heard you t- you say that 
you you you're very i know you're very thoughtful about adult learning but you've compared it to like the special the world of special ed and even the process you uh think about or even follow when coaching people around working with diverse learners what well, talk more about how you see adult education and um special education how you see those two pieces marrying yeah i mean i think this is like Moving into coaching from special education was such a natural click for me because the idea of, you know, creating a map for somebody, helping them understand a long-term goal, breaking that down into manageable steps, right. helping to train on those steps and really thinking, putting yourself in someone's space to say, okay. And I actually think, you know, Antonio, like what you were saying about funds of knowledge, you know, of like where's somebody, what's somebody bringing to the table and what's their experience, what's their perception, um, that the way, you know, there's the way we think about adults, you know, we don't have, we shouldn't, uh, we're not babying adults, right. We're not condescending to them, but I think the same empathy that we, <laughs> that we show to children, we can show to adults. Um, and especially adults who've had really tough jobs, you know, I think particularly our leaders who, um, their work is isolating. And um, they've had to, some of them have been really traumatized in the work. You know, they've, they've carried a really heavy load um, and they're often the only one or maybe a, one of a few in a particular building. And so if we're thinking about helping somebody, you know, grasp a concept or implement something um, in the same way that if a child isn't doing something, you know, like what one thing we say in special ed, but, you know, we say it in ed too, is just like all behaviors information. Um, it's neutral. And that behavior is like helpful mm. for me to understand like what you bring, what, what, like what you're bringing to the table and to help us navigate further. It's not like, it doesn't condemn you to a life of never doing something well. It just helps us understand how we all, move forward. I want to, I want to, I want to ask you to say that all behavior is neutral. It's information. Is that what you said? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That if you, if you take in behavior as <laughs> neutral and it's as information, it's just data for you. It's not personal. Um, that, you know, you can think about how we can create something that's really, um, embraces who a person is in their, in their whole self, you know, so back to like treating people as humans, we also have systems, you know, but like that, that I think is really the, the big thing there is like, oh, we treat people like humans. Um, and that means we see them and we look at them and we help them to see themselves better. That, that might be the single most powerful thing anybody's said on this podcast. And, and granted, we're not that deep into this process, but we're on season two. But that idea of like um, behavior, like behavior is information, like uh, behavior is information. Is that what you said? It's informational. It's neutral. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can't I actually can't take credit for that. Like I did not think of that idea. I was taught that or I was told that by Dr. Trent McLaurin who um, is a professor at LaSalle and who I worked with as an emotional support director. Um, and he is brilliant. Um, you should have him on the podcast. Um, and he um, taught me ev like everything I know about emotional support, I learned from him. And um, he that is a piece of information that he communicated to teachers so succinctly that it's something that I believed, but I couldn't articulate 
how he articulated it. And once he said that, I was like, oh, exactly. Like that helps us to really sort of just take the wind out of somebody saying, whether child or adult, this person is bad. This person is being manipulative, you know, whatever the, like whatever the emotion or thing we want to attribute to someone's behavior. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Lauren, we have a big surprise for you. Dr. Chai McLaurin is hiding behind the yellow dress. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Welcome to this uh, cult. It's so, this is, I cannot um, get, get ready. We're going to, we're going to beam up soon. I don't know it's what's going to happen. After. Crazy. Yeah. Um, but that is a really, what a, what a, what a brilliant and amazing idea. I've uh, there's a, there's a speaking of, you were talking about animal memes before, but there's this meme that says, uh, it's on like teacher, like it's one of the teacher Instagram sites. And it's like, uh, it says like, he's not, he's not giving you a hard time. It's talking about a student who's misbehaving and says, he's not giving you a hard time. He's having a hard time. And my wife and I, we, we tell, we say that to each other a lot. Um, and, and to me, I think your thing of like, you know, all behavior is informational, all behavior is information is even a more succinct way of saying that, that like, we're just, we're just learn we're learning right now. We're seeing something we're learning as a result of it. Yeah. Yeah. We're just kind of like humans fumbling around in the world. We're just in a sack of skin trying to figure things out. <laughs> um, Whoa. Who are you yeah. calling a sack of skin? <laughs> Antonia and I have been lifting. <laughs> no, I mean, everyone looks great. You mean other people. Yeah. And everyone other people. Else Everyone else is a sack of skin. You two are very handsome. But yeah, no, everyone else is a sack of skin. <laughs> that makes me feel good. Thank you. I needed that today. <laughs> Lauren, you talked a little bit already about some of the misconceptions um, about special education. I had a question um, that I think might be a misconception. And, and that is, how, what is the appropriate and right way um, to refer to, to to students. I think folks get caught up in language and they sometimes stumble. Um, do I say a special education student, a student with disabilities, um, a student who has learning difference? What are some of the myths um, around that and debunking and like, what is, is there a, a, an appropriate um, way to, to, to refer to these, to, to, to our students who do learn different or may have a disability? Yeah. So I think actually, interestingly, like this past year, the APA said special education is out. Right. And of course, like federal law schools, like we're all <laughs> we're, like everyone is it takes longer to change that stuff, <laughs> super late to the party. You know, like there's, you know, things, things in the special education code that you would look at and you would be horrified to see. Um, we will not mention. Um, but I, so really, I would say, you know, what I've started using a lot is disability education. Um, and, um, and I, I also think, you know, it's important for people to self-determine, you know, one big thing that is, uh, I think something we can take away from disability justice work. And it's something that all special education folks and people who work Mm -hmm. in disability education work, uh, work should really be looking to is we should really be reading more and thinking more about what is like the scholarship that is coming out of disability justice and how should that influence our work or actually what should we be scrapping entirely um, to be able to center the lives of people with disabilities. And so I think, you know, really allowing folks to self-determine, you know, like I think there's a big 
it's incredible. Like the internet is incredible. It's terrible in a lot of ways, but what is incredible is, you know, the community you can see, and there's so many adults who are in the autistic community and they, you can really see an, like an amazing example of people driving and self-determining to say like, I, this is, I, I am autistic, you know, yes, like call yes. me autistic. Um, and you know, there are other folks who want to say like, I have ADHD. It doesn't define me, you know? And I think that like any other identity, um, that, you know, someone gets the opportunity to say, this is what this means to me. And, um, and obviously we want to put things in neat boxes and in, like in schools where there's federal funding and we have to check all the things and submit the data. Um, there are ways that that never ends up, uh, I think reflecting the, the wholeness of all the people that are in our buildings. Um, but I think, you know, centering disability, sort of naming that and not you know, one of the things that, you know, the APA named was that we're being overly euphemistic. Um, and that I think is an important thing for us to be thinking about when people say like students with exceptionalities, students, you know, special education, um, that, you know, what's wrong with having a disability. Um, mm. and, um, if that, if there is something wrong with it, why? Like that, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an us problem. That's yeah. not a, an individual problem. So. That's interesting. So I still, it's, it's funny because I thought your answer was, was brilliant and not unsurprisingly brilliant, but I still don't feel like I have more clarity. Like what would I like? And I know, and, and obviously you, you both know that I'm very connected to the, to the autism world, but my, but, but, but uh, you, you both know that, but I think our listeners probably don't know that my master's degree is in special education. And so I learned like person first language and that you wouldn't say the autistic boy, you'd say the boy with autism, right? Like I have autism. It doesn't define me. The thing you've, you're speaking about that I've actually seen in the autism community over the last year plus and, and or so is like, no, I'm autistic. I'm owning the thing. Right. Like I am not like I get to define how I'm defined. And I think autism is a little different because the world, the word autistic doesn't necessarily conjure up uh, visions of something negative. Whereas and we all we all heard this when we were younger and forgive me, listeners. But when folks would say that somebody was who was who, who was developing more slowly intellectually was retarded. Right. Like the word retard. Right. Like is in terms of like slowing down. And of course, that like that that term was taken out right of the of the of the lexicon years ago but like that of course that has a negative connotation whereas like autistic doesn't necessarily mean anything to the layman right they, you don't hear autistic and say oh that person is you don't necessarily think of it neg negatively and so i've just and so i think that's part of the reason why a lot of folks with autism are like yeah call me that i like it i like i want to own that thing I don't know if I'm right about that, but, but for, for like, is there a, is there a right thing, quote unquote, like Miller that we should say, is there a right thing? Like we say like neurotypical, neuroatypical, is that being overly euphemistic as you're saying that the, the, the APA says like, what should, what should we say about somebody who has a, a who has a disability? And maybe so, I shouldn't even say that, which will, anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, so I think neurotypical, neuroatypical, I think, you know, th those are current terms. Language changes so fast. And I think mm. that there's something really powerful about 
reclamation of language, right? Um, like I identify as a queer person, like I own that term, right? But that's that is a term that is not a positive term to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and and I would say that, you know, and there are other terms that I would also say, I won't say on this podcast, but that, like there are things that I would say that I are my terms, right? And it, yeah. I think um there are terms that would be pejorative to other communities that you might own as yours, right? As like I mm. say this because it's mine and I want it back. Um, and so I, I don't know if we can say, you know, necessarily like why somebody might identify as autistic, you know, instead of like saying like person first versus not person first, because I would say also like autism, you know, that like autistic as a label doesn't always have a positive um, connotation to it. I think that there are ways oh, that sure. people might hear that and say like, you know, they, they will have an understanding of that or just even an, an understanding of difference. Um, so but yeah, don't I, you feel like the don't you feel like the per, the the don't you feel like the um the portrayal of autism in pop culture is 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 not one of 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 negativity is Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man and it's people counting cards or memorizing things and and while it's certainly not necessarily what we would, what most people would consider to be typical, it's not the same as as uh, as the person in the necessarily in the wheelchair or the person who you know um, has a clear like a, a different kind of intellectual disability. Somebody so Down syndrome or things like that, which I think average people and maybe I'm making assumptions here would think like, oh, I don't I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want my kids to have that. Like, oh, cool, being able to memorize pi to to you know to, to a thousand places. That's interesting to me. And d d don't we feel like that? Like the portrayal is a little different for autism. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I think there that is true, and um, and that does impact just sort of what people's perception is. I think there's a way that yeah, media has allowed us to see some of the gifts of autism and there's gifts to every disability, right? There's, there's yeah. gifts, that, there's gifts that we all bring to the world. And one of the things that we miss the most, um, when we think about disability kind of in a really normative way is we miss the gifts. Like there's massive gifts to oh. ADHD, you know, like people, people who have the six lane highway brain of somebody with ADHD, like there's tremendous, um, there's, there's like tremendous brilliance, you know, that there's tremendous brilliance in folks who have, um, mental health struggles, you know, like there are people who bring so much to the table and so many of our like most tremendous thinkers and most tremendous people, contributors are people who've had disabilities, you know, like, mm. um, like, and we, we silence that we don't, we don't name that, you know, Harriet Tubman had a TBI, she had a traumatic brain injury. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know that Vance, did you yeah. know that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Vance. I appreciate there the commentary. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let me um, take four seconds you. to unmute and just say, yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I didn't I know that. that. Really? I, I didn't know that. But they're, you know, tremendous contributors, um, you know, to our world. And many of them have disabilities that we would never know about. Um, and their disability is actually what gifted them some of their ability to to contribute in the way that they did, you know. And so I think so I think, you know, back to the point of how folks are portrayed in the media, there's probably ways that that's uplifted, um, you know, for folks with autism or autistic folks and that 
hasn't been um, for people with other disabilities. I mean, yeah. yeah so, um, yeah. And so it, it probably does change people's perception of like what it means to have a particular, a particular diagnosis. And when we say diagnosis, we say that like, you know, in the, there's medical diagnosis, there, there's also school diagnoses. Um, and so, you know, there's these very like vague diagnoses that, that happen in schools, but yeah. So it's, it's complicated. I also think, um, I'm certainly not like that. I'm not a linguist and I'm not the expert expert. It's something that like, I have to do a lot of reading on to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm current. And it's one reason I actually love working with uh, some of like the pre-service teachers because they're younger than me, you know? And so they're current, <laughs> um, yeah. in a way that sometimes I'm not, you know, like it's, it's interesting to hear, what they're thinking about and how they're mm. approaching um, in particular, because they have a whole understanding of the world that's really different than mine. So. Mm. Right. Well, I'm going to, that was heavy. And I, <laughs> 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 that was heavy. I'm going to pivot a little bit. Lauren, you are born and raised in Ohio, love mm. the Midwest. Um, now you live in Philly. Yep. What is, in your opinion, the best thing about living um, in the city of brotherly love? Yeah, it is a great place. Um, it's a complicated place. And I think there are so many things to love. There are so many things to struggle with as well. I honestly yeah. think though, like Philadelphians are the best part of Philly. Um, mm. If you think about just like the people who are, they're just solid gold, like just like there's, style their attitude yeah. there's just like this dedication to where you're from like down to the postal code of your block um yeah. like people are just obsessed with like the particular lineage of like what you know whether it's like you know a particular street they grew up on the parish that they grew up in yeah. you know what catholic school they went to there's just there's so much the particular steak shop that they love like people are obsessed <laughs> with the city they're obsessed with each other they also have so much animosity towards others um I just, <laughs> it is just you said that so matter of factly <laughs> but it's very true ah uh, it is like there's such a, a depth there's so much to yeah what somebody told me once the east coasters are kind but they are not nice um yeah. no, and no. i, I really it's fair. And I think Philly is very, that is Philly embodies that it is like, yes. people are, will literally get out, like they'll get out of a car to shake someone's hand. They will also two blocks later, like scream out the window at somebody, you know, else in the, like on the same street on broad street, yeah. you know? So yeah, I love Philadelphians. We, we, uh, Vance, I know, I think you have a follow-up here, but I just want to, uh, when when we were looking, when when Gina and I were looking at moving to Philadelphia, this is back in the the mid to late uh, two thousand aughts. We um, we were at a restaurant called Seafood Unlimited, uh, which, by the way, the seafood was not unlimited because they they said on the menu like uh, add any substitutions you'd like, and so I tried to add a substitution, and it like put this, the entire restaurant into an absolute tizzy. They couldn't handle. I was just like, hey, can I just get like uh, rigatoni instead of penne? 
you said you can do that. And they were like, the whole place like lost their mind. So mm -hmm. the seafood, well, maybe the seafood was unlimited, but the pastas clearly weren't. <laughs> but we're at the, we're at the bar and I'm, a, I grew up in, you know, I grew up a Yankees fan. Well, I grew up actually a Mets fan, but became a Yankees fan. My wife is a diehard Mets fan and the Mets are playing the Phillies. And for those of you who know your, your sports, the Mets and the Phillies are, are bitter rivals. And we're at this restaurant in Philadelphia thinking like, are we going to move here? And, uh, the, there's a cu another couple at the bar watching the game. We're eating our, our pasta with shrimp or clams or whatever it was. And uh, there's another couple at the bar. And um, the the Phillies, the Mets score a run. And my wife goes like, yes. And the woman uh, turns over to us and goes, uh, are you you're a Mets fan? And my wife goes, yeah. And she goes, I want to fight you. And my wife's like, Oh, she starts laughing. She's like, no, I want to fight you. And like the, the, the person she's with is like, come on, honey. No. And she's like, I want to fight you. And my, my wife said, like, wait, is like, I'm like, I think she wants to fight you. And I'm like, now like hiding her behind me. And it's very much like, it's very much for just like awesome people. Great, great city welcoming. And like you, you're rooting for a team that I don't root for. And I want to fight you right now. Right in the inside of a pretty nice restaurant. Not the nicest yeah. restaurant, but a pretty nice restaurant. Sounds Philly. But, yeah, yeah, it sounds <laughs> that's, very Philly. That's, for those of you who very aren't from Philly. here, that's that's Philadelphia. Yeah, not surprised oh. at all. I mean, I always know a Philadelphian um, outside of Philadelphia when you see one. You're like, oh, you're from Philly, aren't you? Yeah. Um, Lauren, where should our listeners go to eat and drink when they come here? Where, where Where's the, the spot to go? I think one of my faves is... Um, if you head down to the Italian market, there's a really nice little bottle shop, um, the DeBruno Brothers bottle shop. You can actually stop and get some free cheese samples, but their bottle shop is next door. You can get like a little cocktail and they have a, they cleared out like a piazza. And so you sit there, you have like a nice glass of wine, watch the sunset or whatever. And then down ninth street, you can actually walk and there are a bunch of different spots. So um, I would stop at Villa de Roma and get, the quote unquote best meatballs in town. They are actually yes. pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just went there recently. <laughs> it's so good. You got like a carafe of the wine. You have like the best time ever. It's hasn't changed since whenever it was built. I love it. Wow. Um, or my other spot down there is Anastasi's, the fish place yes. at the corner. Mm. Um, and so you sit on that corner of like Washington and Ninth. We call it the um, the Riviera of South Philly. It feels like you're a little <laughs> bit at the beach. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Can you say more about that? Why does it feel like you're at the beach? Because it's concrete. It's concrete, and it's like I mean, what just because of the the cuisine? I think. Well, yeah, the cuisine. But there's there's usually like a breeze. It's um, it's not an ocean breeze, but it's it's like more of a toxic breeze. But it feels. I was say it's from it's, it's coming off the dumpsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you have your Aperol Spritz, like usually it's just like you're in a good mood. People are walking down the street. Wait, hold on. What is this? My sister talks about the Aperol Spritz. What, what is this thing? She, we had a party a couple weeks ago. My sister bought a bunch of things. She's like, I'm going to make Aperol Spritz. And everyone's like, what's that? She's like, it's amazing. And then she it's never amazing. made it. She never what? made it. It's amazing. Yeah, amazing. Stop it. <laughs> what is this? I think, is it like, it's maybe like a traditional Italian yes. aperitivo. So you like have it before you have dinner, um, but it's light. It's like, you know, there's some, 
is it so there's Aperol, which there's is like Aperol, a, yeah. mm-hmm. and then there's orange juice and then soda water, maybe? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say some people use like ginger ale or some okay. or soda. Stacy, is this is this uh Stacy, tell us if this uh recipe is correct here. <laughs> My neighbor. I, you're oh, all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> We're close enough. <laughs> It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it approximates it and they serve it in this big glass and it just feels like you're like you are on vacation. Um, Stacy said it's served in a tiny glass and it feels like you're at work. No, (laughs) No. she said it's the smallest glass and you feel like you're about to start the work day. (laughs) (laughs) Stacy is telling us to stop it. Um, <laughs> My Italian neighbor makes them. They are in a big yeah. glass. I'm going to get you one, yeah. Michael. Mm-hmm. All right. When I yeah. come over to look at the stars, mm-hmm. um, Miller, what? Uh, you're a big Ted Lasso fan. Tell me what it's about. What's the buzz about? I feel like it's just like this guy who's just. I feel like if I if I could go back to my question from earlier, I would change it from Teslas to Ted Lasso. I don't get it. It doesn't seem it, funny or smart. It seems like he's just like overly nice and like I don't like tell me tell me why I should like it. Okay, well question one, have you actually watched it? No, no, I, I don't have okay. a TV. No, okay. I'm just kidding. I have watched. <laughs> I know I did watch two episodes and I was okay. like it's okay, but I was in fairness yeah. I was drinking many Aperol spritzes at the time. <laughs> You like it's it's all erase from your memory. So yeah. I also doubted this. I was like, this is about some dude, who, like a soccer coach who like from the Midwest. And I'm from the Midwest. I like Midwesterners. And I was like, he goes to. It just seems like this is a really dumb storyline. Yeah. Um, really, what is in- incredible about it is that it is actually like the best of coaching and a comedy format. It's huh? the idea that like if you really believe and like love the people and see them they can do great things so it is it feels like it is a dumb premise it feels just i i did not want to watch it i was actually hokey and super contrived and like yeah like even like even the like the the setting or the you know the set design looks like it's it's totally just like you know, like here's a pub in England. Um, it's made to make us all feel better because we've had a really shitty couple of, you know, years. I feel yeah, like it was that's just made to like, yeah. And that's what I thought too. And it does do that. Um, that's, that's also what's happening, but I will say that it is this, um, it also like takes a lot of tropes, like common tropes that happen in television. So like, the older woman and the younger woman are like pitted against each other. And instead they're like building each other up. Like everyone is um, just kind of like positively building each other up. It seems like it should be stupid and hokey, but in fact, it is actually like this. If you're a good coach and you're like, Oh man, I have like gotten behind a struggling person before and been like, God, I believe in you. It's, it is that story. Um, and so it's, it's nice to watch. Um, it's like a corny version of Friday night lights. Wow. I think you just sold me on it. I was about yeah. to say that when you said the coaching, I saw mm-hmm. the glimmer in mm-hmm. Michael's eye. I've yeah. seen it before. <laughs> I've seen it before. Give it a go. I saw it again. I was and, like, oh, you got him. You got him. Yeah. Like Roy Kent is like angry he's like such a particular archetype and it's just roy kent is the guy that's played by jason sudeikis 
No, he is he's the captain of the team and he Oh, is duh, that's Ted Lasso. Duh. He Jason Zick yes. is Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah. got it. Um, but yeah, and Roy Kent is another character on the show. Yeah, he's like this angry soccer player who's like on the cusp of retirement and he is just yeah, he he's working through his rage and it's also like it's just I yeah. It may not be your thing, but I might give it one more episode and see. Cause I also was like, this is dumb. And then I, I got deep into it. So. Yeah. It felt, um, I, I called it, uh, like contrived, but uh, hokey, but it felt, uh, almost campy. Like I couldn't take Jason Sudeikis, character, obviously Ted Lasso. I couldn't take him seriously. It felt like he was like, it felt like, like it was a, it was a wink, wink joke. Like, Hey, this is a stupid thing I'm doing. It doesn't <laughs> really matter. Um, my mustache looks ridiculous. I'm like, I'm making all the the typical jokes. So like the Midwesterner, I don't know where I am. I'm on this plane going overseas. Like, I'm like, like, just like, yeah, exactly. I'm I'm, I'm saying, yeah, exactly. As Lauren's acting something out in her closet. Um, uh, But you do this kind of like sideways dance, like hee haw, like uh, that, like, um, but, but what you're saying makes sense. And I think the timing um, the timing's probably perfect for a show like that based on what you're, based on what you're saying. Yeah. Give it a go. Tell me what you think. You may hate it. Totally fine. But you know, I don't I think would. I'll, I don't think I'll hate it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll mm-hmm. hate it. I think, uh, I think, I mean, I, I am a big fan of like character studies and things that have heart and I think I'll, I think I will like it. Um, I've just, I've been, yeah, I just, I've heard a lot about it and I've been, uh, I've been less than, less than dazzled by the first couple episodes, but I will, I will dive in and I will yeah. pour that. Unlike Antonio, who I send <laughs> amazing pop music lists to who doesn't listen and then tells me on the next episode, I hate music. <laughs> I <laughs> this is like, you told me that. No, you didn't say that. Miller, we heard you're an A plus hype woman. Mm. You told me you're, uh, and like when, when, when I read this about you, I didn't know this. I've known you for probably about almost a decade. Yeah. Um, I've never seen you, I've never seen you in hype woman mode. I, oh, I yeah. but when I read this from your pre interview, I'm like, she's, she's, she's like, she's pumping herself up here. You, you, you say you're the best at getting somebody else psyched about something. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm like the front man of the band. I don't that's like never been my but I think I can like really gas somebody up in in like in the green room. And I think that's like (laughs) (laughs) it is it's something that I have, you know, like especially if I like as somebody who works with people, like if you're one of my people. I just love you. Like, I love you. You're mine. We are going to do this together. And so I just, I believe in you. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm always ready to tell somebody you look amazing. You're going to be incredible. Nobody else does what you do. Let's go do this thing. <laughs> With the serious face like that, that you just serious had. Face. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm feeling that yeah. way now. Right. Yeah. I used to. All right, so my... can we hear, can we hear a little hyping? Like, can you hype, uh, hype one of us up? Can you hype yeah. one of us up for something? Oh, oh, I'm going to hype both of you up. All right, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's listen. I cannot believe that I get to be on a podcast with both of you today. (laughs) Number one, number one, there's a lot of personality here, right? Oh, yeah. Number two, yep. No one is a sack of skin. 
everyone <laughs> is doing the work. Looks quite handsome. Everyone looks great. Oh. You you are really you're like embodying a level of professionalism and strength that anyone would be honored to have inside of their school. In all serious, like seriously though, I I do really think <laughs> you are both people who you have reputations that precede you. You are people that I trust. I think I I know a lot about both of you and I feel like there is something that is um deeply um you have a knowledge and a wisdom that you bring to the work and you also are able to show up in a way that you can communicate that to others. And so the fact that you get to do this inside of this space makes it the kind of thing that like is an honor to both be a part of and also to listen to. So I'm excited to be here. You're going to do fantastic work today, tomorrow for the rest of the week. Can, can I call I you? Mila, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Vance, Vance, do you feel do you feel better than you felt 30 seconds ago? I do. Yeah. And I, 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 so need this. I, I need to call. Yeah. I, I need a cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, because need... who wouldn't wow. want to work with you? Who wouldn't want to work with you? They'd be you a fool. You just did that. Wow. Yeah. I started that off as a joke and you were starting yeah. it off as a joke and then you got serious. Yeah. No, I really. I feel yeah. amazing right now. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, cause I really believe in the people that I work with. I don't work with people I don't like, and I, and I don't work with people that I don't, like I don't believe in. And yeah. so there, there's also that, I mean, and also most people you can believe in because most people actually have something really amazing about them I agree. and you are spectacular people. So, well, thank you very much. I was not looking for a serious <laughs> version of that, but that was amazing. Um, yeah, that was, wow. You really are great at that. That's, uh, that was really cool. And thanks for so much for saying those, those kind things. Um, and, and Laura, we feel double that about you, um, and the yeah. work that you do. Um, thanks so much. Yeah. Lauren Miller. I said it before. Lauren Miller is like the perfect combination of smart and cool and funny and just total badass. I mean, you really are just so, and like you're doing it in, it's really funny. Like within the hardest work in the world, you're then further inside. And if folks, folks can see me, I'm actually closing my hands together. You're inside the hardest work, inside the hardest work in the world. And you are always like just unstoppable about it. And I know the challenges come up, but you are just absolutely unstoppable that like I'm going to make change for kids and adults. And uh, wow. Uh, yeah. blown away to work with you real truly truly so, well same yeah well, Lord, as we think about closing out what's something that schools are getting right um about special education in 2021 what's something that that you've seen and heard you know schools are actually nailing and getting right yeah i mean i think people got to see the value of relationships and social emotional learning like mm -hmm. there's a way that you know our folks who work in special ed that's always been at the forefront of their work you can't do the work well and not have that be part of what you do because you are thinking constantly about the whole child um and so i think there's a, a way that i've seen a lot of schools put that as uh the headline across a school setting and really think about like how do we really think differently about how our kids are coming back into buildings um, because this year is different and our kids 
are looking different. They're feeling different regardless of whether or not they have a disability. Um, and so that's been an awesome thing that I've seen. And I've also, you know, got to see like special ed folks just step up and show other people like, oh, this is how I do what, you know, what I do. And this is how you can do the same thing. Um, so that's been incredible. And I think um, it takes our work to broader audiences. And we always say like, if you did the stuff, if everybody did the stuff that special education folks did, you know, our schools would be <laughs> even better. So, <laughs> um, but, but I think we're seeing more of that now because it's such a necessity. So that's been incredible. Miller, we'll get you out of here on this question. If you could change one thing across all schools, we have, a, we have two months left in 2021. We're heading into 2022. If you could change one thing around special ed, specific to special ed, I'm going to ask you to make this answer concise and precise, like mm-hmm. one word or three words, like what's the thing you would change right now for special as it pertains to special ed? Equitable access. Um, what does that mean? What does that mean? That- yeah, so that's you said, you said two words. Um, so really, like across the board, that I think there are ways that kids who were out of school um, are coming back into school. It tested it, pressure tested our systems inside of schools, and yeah. some of those like schools really, or some of those systems really, you know, lasted and strengthened, and some of those systems frayed, and that created less access for some kids. So there's some kids who are still out of the building, um, or there are some kids who don't have the right technology, um, or there are things that sort of surfaced um, that, that there are like some of our students still need more. Um, And so I would want basically the best of the best for every kid in every school. And so I would want our schools to be thinking about, you know, how can I get what my children need and how can I get what is due to them basically um so that is that is what I mean by equitable access um this I feel like we just scratched the surface of this topic and we need to I I I I finish most shows by asking our guests if they would come back I I we need you to I'm not gonna I'm not going to ask if you will. I'm going to beg. We need you to come back because I feel like we're just scratching the surface of this topic. It's a monster topic, especially with more diagnoses every day. And you both have seen this. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of students across schools in this country who need a diagnosis and don't have one. And um, and 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 just the the overwhelming presence of of special education work in school. So Miller, please come back in an upcoming episode. Can will will, will you come back and talk to us more on informal observations? So happily, yes. I I might be fully embedded in a cult by that point, but um, <laughs> if if I am available, I absolutely will. No, I, I would love to come back. This has been such a pleasure, and um, it's great to hear both of you. And um, yeah, and I, I love both of your insights, and have loved, you know what you're both bringing to the table for so long. So I, yeah, I appreciate being here. Thank you for having me. And I would love to come back. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And, and for folks at home who can't see uh, Lauren's yellow dress is now it's, it's flashing. Join us. It's just saying, <laughs> join us, join us over and over again. And I don't know what that means, but I feel like I need to join uh, folks. Yeah. For Antonio and the team at Skyrocket, Lauren, thank you so much for being here. It was amazing. Um, I'm Michael from Skyrocket. This is Informal Observations. And until next time, folks, keep on rocking.
This was Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com and look out for our next episode.